Hi, I'm Lucy von Sturmer, founder of impact-driven thought leadership agency, The Humble Brag, and co-initiator of grassroots activist movement, Creatives for Climate. On this podcast, I'll be learning from pioneers, mavericks, and creative disruptors, all using their power, platform, and influence to build a better world. Women challenge the status quo because we are never it. You're a real leader by simply bringing humanity back to business. Do you want to be a leader that you look back in time and say that you were on the wrong side of the argument when the world was crying out for a solution? This is a positive disturbance. Hey everyone, and welcome back to A Positive Disturbance, where it's my mission to create just that by celebrating the leaders driving forward sustainable and inclusive change by raising their voice and taking a stand. And today I'm super excited to be speaking to Danny Tawia, who is the former vice president of digital and brand innovation at Nike. He worked in this role in London, in the Netherlands, and in Portland for many years, and now he's an independent consultant and an outspoken leader who's trying to support corporate America to be more inclusive and purpose-driven, particularly in terms of taking an active stance within the black community. This is a pretty honest and vulnerable conversation between both of us, and what I found really interesting was that while Danny wants to see radical change and, of course, justice, he was also concerned with creating a truly inclusive culture which in the future might also include those that don't support his views, perhaps even Trump supporters. And he's definitely on the money when he says that brands haven't realized it yet, but actually being an activist and working towards long-term systemic change is a smart business move. But that's enough from me. Let's dive into the conversation with Danny. All right, Danny. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us this morning. Um, and obviously, you know, you stood out to me as a bold and brave leader driving for change. I've read some of the posts that you've been writing. You're the former um, vice president from, of digital brand and innovation at Nike. And you have been um, quite vocal um, right now with corporate America jumping in to um, assert itself within this new landscape. Um, And you describe yourself as on a mission to support corporate America to um, make a positive change. And so I just wanted to invite you to share a little bit about who you are and your journey and this new mission that you're on. It's great. Thank you for having me. It's been a, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a a journey that I've just started, but it's one that I I intend on continuing Um, really spurred on by my own personal experiences, having, um, led the brand innovation team at Nike for multiple years, and then, and then, unfortunately, having gone through a, a really traumatic um, experience that's obviously tied to racism. And so, uh, watching the way that brands uh, responded to, you know, in this moment, specifically around the George Floyd uh, tragic circumstances, as well as just the, the social issues that were taking place in the U.S. Having had my own personal experience, it was really important for me to lend my voice to this narrative in service of uh, the Black community, because I think that, you know, the institutional racism that we're describing and talking about, it's so pervasive and it's so toxic and it's so um, broad that unless we continue to have the dialogue and we continue to push people, uh, leaders who have the decision makers who have the power to change the narrative from the top down, I think that um, it'll never change. And, you know, as a father of two young black men, I felt it was very important to lend my voice to the conversation. 
the uh, the post that you wrote that went viral was Nike just don't do it. And the first line reads, how do brands show up in an age of cultural and racial sensitivity without the BS? Correct. It's a great question, right? It is a great question. Because I what think, um, you know, and where did that statement come from? Well, it was sort of the first, having seen some of the work that was being put out there by brands. And I think, you know, some were good intent, some were good intentions. I think they meant well, um, just tone deaf. And some were just around um, uh, exploitative of the situation, I think. Um, and so when you understand and you're informed and experienced or you're part of building these sort of, you know, inno innovative ways of marketing, which I was part of, it was hard for me to um, watch a brand that like Nike that I love and grew up with and was inspired by the Kool-Aid of which I was the poster child for, you could argue. It was hard for me to see a brand that I loved that way, um, sort of leverage my culture, this very same culture that powers the business on so many forms. It was hard for me to see their approach um, and not say something because the approach ultimately felt very disingenuous. Um, and I felt that Nike in particular can do way more for the black community, given how much it relies on black art, design, culture, athletes, et cetera, to Paris. Business. So, yeah, it was important for me to uh, speak up and try and help people understand and, and help educate people about how brands sort of indirectly mislead you into thinking they're, they're in they're, you know, they are there in support, but really what they're doing is taking a, a, an opportunity that, um, should be sort of taking in a different way and applying it with a marketing sort of strategy, which for me is just, that's just not their way forward. I think brands now have to become more purposeful, more deliberate, and a hell of a lot more transparent with how with their role in helping shift the narrative in, in society at large. It's a big statement coming from the former vice president of brand at Nike to really call it out because what you witnessed was much more of a slogan than necessarily action on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you saw from all brands, right? I mean, I think for a brand to put a statement out that says, for one, let me explain why I think it's tone deaf. And this tone deafness happens when you don't have a diverse pool of leaders, right? Bad work <laughs> seeps through. And this for me is terrible work. What you ended up with was, really a PowerPoint presentation with music. That's what the ad was. It's a sequence of words with this very dramatic music in the background. And the words that for me is really tone deaf is how do you take something like race and go just for once, don't do it. Well, what about all the other previous times? Was it okay then? Because your language implies that in this moment, this is so bad that people shouldn't be racist. And then the other one that I struggled with was they, they continue to use the word racism. And I knew from internal discussions I had prior, prior years that they simply couldn't say the words Black Lives Matter because it alienated, you know, some parts of their consumer base. And so they told the line with the statement, right? Let's, you know, let's all stop racism or let's be part very kumbaya. I told the line. And so when you're towing the line and then the world, you've perceived, you've deceived the world into thinking, wow, you're such an innovation brand. And I know that to be true. That my voice has to be, has to be added to the pool to help actually tell the truth, tell the honest truth as to how this stuff works. Um, and so that's, that was one of the reasons I spoke up. I think I thought it was very important. It's a really interesting time, isn't it? Because companies and corporate America and, and brands in general have a little bit more ability to quickly transform compared to governments, for example. 
So there are a lot of people now looking to brands and companies to take a stand and to bring to life certain values. So what can we expect? Like what, what could Nike have done that was better? What does action look like? Well, I think what most brands did um, was to take the old format of we're going to, we're going to give money to a cause. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to give, you know, in this case, Nike said, we're going to give 40 million to, you know, black causes. Great. Sounds like a big number, but I'm going to unpack that. And I'll tell you some of the things that they could have done that 40 million. If you break it up over a four year period, which was how much it's for, you're left with 10 million for the year. Now, if you divide that by 12, you've got roughly $850,000. Now, if you divide that by four into the weeks, you're looking at roughly $200,000 or so. Is that enough money to solve racism? <laughs> that is the, that's what I'm, you know, and that's yeah. what people don't sort of stop and take note of. Instead, they see the headline and go, wow, Nike's, they're out there again, solving the problem. By doing that, all they've done is reallocated budget. That's all it is. It's a reallocation of moving one money from one place to another. Instead of using this, you use it. It's also an issue that you can really just throw a whole lot of money at. That's right. And that doesn't solve the problem. I think, I think what this is doing, and this is why it's so challenging and so uncomfortable, is we are asking um, corporate America to take a long-term commitment to race. We are asking corporate America um, to be more deliberate with their hiring of minorities and have a specific quota that can actually support your claims that you're being a diverse company. We are asking brands to be more transparent. I think in that moment, what brands could have done is be part of helping figure out um, a sense of what's first and foremost in that real moment when there was a lot of stuff going on where we couldn't make sense of it. I think as a brand, either you go dark or you become part of the solution in a real way. So one thing that I saw that was amazing, some athletes lent their social media handles. They use their handles and their, their, their followers as a, as, a, as a beacon for, in this case, Black Lives Matter to use to help navigate and help people understand what was going on. I think brands could have done some very simple things like exactly that. Give up your social handles for that night to yeah. in, in service of the cause. As an example, or they could have immediately set up hotlines that allowed people to start documenting and reporting um, experiences of racism that they've had in the workplace because they didn't have a voice. Um, uh, you know, those are all sort of quick things that could have happened quite quickly to get the ball rolling. What we're trying to solve cannot be done with a knee-jerk reaction. It's not what this is. We need short-term solutions, but then we need to sit down and have a human conversation about this. You know, a human conversation that can actually help us change this narrative once and for all. And I think that the beginnings of that is what we're seeing now. But this is a long-term, uh, I think, a long-term, long road. I don't think that we're going to solve it in the next few weeks. People are still reconciling with racism. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of years of oppression that we've brought to the forefront forefront then you've got you know a whole community of people who've never thought themselves as racist but realize that in today's world when you apply the context of um, institutional systematic racism you realize that everybody has a part to play right all of that is just coming to fruit. people are just making sense of it so i think we need to give ourselves time we need to be relentless we need to push really hard but understand that this is a long road in terms of changing uh, popular beliefs and mindsets, and especially in the workplace uh, moving forward. 
It's kind of amazing to imagine. It's been very confronting actually to like look at my own feed. Suddenly every single image, you know, that, that is uh, mostly white men, but just white people in general, or even campaigns that come out that aren't really diverse. You suddenly, you're, we've all got our goggles off. Yeah. Um, but also to realize that we're not talking about more people at the top that are diverse or black or people of color. It's, an, it's a total systems change in terms of right. equality. That's right. That's and what right. are the new conversations that come up and, and how, you know, that, if we can get there, that starts to be exciting, I think. I mean, I would say even this dialogue for me is exciting. And the fact that we're even having this dialogue, you and I, is exciting. The fact that we've allowed ourselves a forum where race can be discussed without the angst and the frustration and the anger, where we can have an objective conversation about what we're experiencing. You know, I think oh, this is very healthy. I always tell people in the US, you know, the American is a giant sofa and, you know, they all need to lie on this sofa and just have a long conversation. Very hippie-ish of me, but it's this <laughs> idea, right, that, that, that dialogue is a huge part of helping people understand. I think, yeah. and also that the, the micro is the macro, right? So if like we're expecting of the sort of companies and brands on an individual level as leaders, you need to be vulnerable and having, you know, being open and, and open to getting it wrong too. And to learning as you go, as we expect from companies and brands. hundred percent. And I think what's exciting about the now is I do think that there is an opportunity for us to reimagine the systems of the future. I do think that the workplace uh, and how it should function can be reset. It's a system at the end of the day. This stuff is all, you know, human made. None of it was, you know, set in stone when we we're all here. Like I said, naked we came, right? So this idea that we, we were here, we came with nothing, we leave with nothing, I think is a really important mindset because it allows you to be free in the moment to say what you actually feel, speak your honest truth, put your words out there because those words have, will touch other people and that knock on effect is really what we're looking for. You know, I think it's, it's important for these dialogues to continue. Every conversation I personally have now starts with this, which, you know, for me personally, it's a form of therapy. I think it's really important. Well, this, this session's on me, Danny. <laughs> um, that was a terrible, terrible joke of me trying to be funny. No, um, yeah, I, I think that it's been really difficult for, um, for everybody, but, um, you know, if you are, white then you know we have had a lot of work to do ourselves to realize you know whether you're poor or rich you come from a position of privilege but what i think that you know many of us <laughs> if i can speak as one people <laughs> are lacking is a tools and framework and a way to have these conversations that um that you know that for some reason we just haven't been able to have it and i and i coming from new zealand um you know where I grew up aware that I was the descendant of a white colonizer. Sure. These are conversations that we have quite a lot um, about Maori and affirmative action and all these sorts of things. And it was a conversation that I almost couldn't have. And one of the things that, um, that kind of would, would make my blood boil because I would see that we hadn't moved um, as far ahead as I, as I would have hoped in New Zealand and that racism was rife. Um, right. But, you know, I worry that some people aren't able to have these conversations and aren't able to say, Hey, look, I am privileged. And where does that leave us? And obviously in America right now, a lot of us are just watching what's happening and we're terrified. Yeah. 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 It's a really, it's a great question. And it's funny enough, I actually empathize, especially with my, my friends who are happy to be white. I think, you know, I've had multiple conversations. You can tell 
some of them are, I've never seen this before. They are literally shocked that, wow, it's this bad. So, you know, what I tell people is you have to take a very human approach to this um, because the trauma is real. You know, it really is in the, in the black community and you can see people uh, you know, emotionally breaking down. I think what I always tell, in this case, my white friends is, look, you first have to be able to acknowledge what you just said, which is that there's privilege baked in by default. It's just there and it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty for that. That's who you are. That's the, that's the fortunate privilege you find yourself in. But acknowledge it. That's the first thing. And I think that acknowledgement allows us to start to have a dialogue on equal footing. Because until yeah. you can actually say those words, yes, my privilege has helped me. Yes, I've been able to get to these places, not because I'm not capable, but be- I am capable. But in addition to being capable, I've had these opportunities. And the same goes for brands, right? Which is they've got to be human in their approach. They have to ask themselves internally there's some internal soul searching that has to happen and then the acknowledgement and then from the acknowledgement you then start to work on you know short mid long-term solutions and the short-term things i have i've told friends of mine what can you individually do they've asked me what can i personally do in service of of this movement and in service of black people and i said well think about yourself as a mentor for example you know go out and seek two, three young up-and-coming designers, writers, whatever profession you're in, and just simply mentor them. Invest your time in helping them shape their careers. Invest your time in helping them land, you know, amazing opportunities that can help them accelerate their careers. Those are all personal things that doesn't cost anything. If people are serious about helping change a narrative, those are right off the bat things that I can think of that we can all do to help. You can imagine the millions of kids that would benefit from knowing what you and I know you know, at, in, in their 20s, you know, delivered to them in the right way. So this is one of the things that I'm focused on now primarily is to help brands and individuals start to translate the Black narrative in the most authentic way. Right? As a brand leader, I'm perfectly positioned to use my experience, use my skills, but also use my cultural experience and background to help those at the top start to, sh- to shape the narrative strategically that will ultimately serve the, the, the organization. I think once we can show that there is a positive uplift on the bottom line, which is if you're a CEO, this is what's going through your mind, right? How do I make this change? But without impacting the business, well, I'm perfectly positioned to help them navigate those, those waters. And so my goal now is to work with them, work with brands to you know, build the teams of the future that are diverse. Look at your campaigns and with real scrutiny about how race is being translated in your communication. Look at how you're, the transparency, what you're doing internally to allow those that are, are experiencing these traumatic racist experiences, um, uh, ways for them to be able to provide information without fear of repercussion. You know, there's all of these different things that uh, brands and individuals can do but it starts simply with just acknowledgement. You yeah. know, I think that that is probably the biggest shift for some. Some have made the leap already. Some are still making sense of it. And like I said, it will take time. I don't think we're going to get everybody on the same page at the same time. But I think over time, the consistency with the message and the relentless to, let, to not let this dialogue die, I think will ultimately translate into some positive changes. 
I guess it's like Patagonia with its environmental stance. Companies that can yeah. be vocal on these issues are the ones that don't just credibly act on issues of systemic racism, but will probably actively work to tackle it long term, right? Yeah, yeah. I think brands haven't realized yet, but taking that stance is actually a really smart strategic like business move at this point. It's a bit like, um, uh, you're right, the invite, you know, um, um, translating the environmental issues that were going on and, and seeing how brands quickly pivoted into making sure that they have a sustainable strategy internally because it was important to the public zeitgeist. Well, this is important to the public side. And I think if I look at my kids' generation and I can see it, I can literally see it in my kids. The question they're going to ask themselves is, what does this brand stand for? Yeah. You know, the days of us having three or four brands that told us what to wear, how to wear it, when to wear it, and we paid them for the privilege are gone. Now consumers are saying, who's behind this apparel that I'm interested in? Who's behind these shoes that I'm interested in? What do they represent? So not having a purpose or purpose-led organization, I think five years from now, um, will be to the detriment of these brands. I think to simply con con allow, continue to feed us campaigns and ex expect us to buy into your narrative, I think that's the old marketing. I think those days are over. It's time for a completely new reshift in terms of how brands are approaching this. Reimagining business. And I think yeah. that you mentioned something before about transparency being so key to this. Um, and that's really scary, right? If you're a brand or a company owner, yeah. brands have been, I mean, Nike has had a terrible, um, at times, of course, or like many big brands have had a terrible record with um, human rights and, and, and labor. But I do think they have been quite transparent about trying to address some of these issues. So across different um, social issues, let's say, from child labor to environmentalism to systemic racism, surely brands are learning now the way to go is acknowledge your issue, create a roadmap be transparent about what you've got right and wrong and just continue to work towards it. Consumers are okay with messy, right? We live in messy. Right. That's right. I don't think brands understand that yet. I think some are waking up to that new reality of this is actually how we need to operate. Transparency has never been a thing for any business. I think, I think they yeah. provide you with enough information to make you feel like they're being transparent. Right. And that's inevitably what any corporate environment would do. But for those of us that are behind the velvet rope, if you will, we know the level of transparency that could be provided. It's never been asked for by consumers. We've never asked brands to show us what they're actually doing. So it's a new muscle for them. Um, and so and it's funny, I'm actually going to give them a little defense here and say, give them a bit of time to sort of figure out what it yeah. means for the, what it means for them. But it is a new muscle. And I think that, um, we have to, the, our role here is to continue this dialogue, is to continue these discussions, is to continue to have a point of view on what's happening in the world. I, I'm vocal about every brand that I see, both for good and for bad. I'm vocal about brands that I think are doing really great. I'm vocal about brands that seem, at least on the face of it, seem like they're trying to do the right thing. I will reach out and I will give them my, you know, my the, lend whatever voice I can in support of that. So um, it's a very slow process. I think it will continue to chug along really slowly. I don't think that the changes we're seeking are, are going to be overnight, may well be generational. I mean, that's what we're really talking about. My hope is, is that I see real change in my time, certainly. Um, but I think that 
you know, for us to have a better world, we have to start incentivizing this transparency. And then incentivizing is consumers putting their dollar towards your business. So as a brand, if you don't, if you're not transparent, there is a real chance that you may not have certainly the black dollar in future. We won't do that. Black people are not going to do that any longer. We have, we have an economic power that we can actually leverage um, to shift the narrative as far as brands and corporations roles in all of this. And I think that that trend is what you're starting to see. You know, technology is allowing us all the ability to have that voice. You know, one person can put a video out and have it be seen by thousands, if not millions of people. That's the power of where we are today. So brands want to beware. The days of, you know, telling us, having one line of communication, you know, a few TV ads, posters, and radio, and that would be the only way you could consume brands. Those is a gun. And so I think uh, any brand that wants to, it's serious about changing the narrative and the status quo. And it's serious about this strategic long term and still being relevant to the black community at large, will need to take a different stance for sure in order to be um, relevant in years to come. And I mean, somebody that's so embedded in the environmental movement, gosh, I really hope it isn't generations to come because we really need new right. leaders, new right. types of voices, new knowledge to rise up through the ranks because, yeah. you know, we need an entirely different systems change really quickly actually to solve yeah. the issues that we have. Um, mm -hmm. So you're a very patient man, <laughs> but I really hope that it. Yeah, that well, I, yeah, you're right. And I, I, I'm actually not patient at all. I'm actually very impatient. I'm, I'm sort of trying to take a more of a realistic view yeah. given the scale of the problem. I mean, yeah. this thing is that big that, you know, any small step in the right direction is a yeah. positive step in the yeah. right direction. And so my hope is, yes, absolutely. It, you know, if I could click my fingers and have it all solved in the next 24 hours, I would. But I also want to be a realist in terms of how long these, these you know, these sort of embedded institutional systems yeah. that are quite frankly working really well for those that are in positions to take advantage, how you reset them um, so that they deliver for, for, for all. And I mean, you're living in the US, so I understand your realism in the sense that, you know, things aren't pretty right now. And what this is going to involve is some people giving up power and you're going to have some people kicking against that, right? Um, whatever shape and form that takes. That's exactly right. I mean, you're telling you're telling people who have been comfortable with how things have played out for so long to reset and give give a piece of the pie back to other people. It's a hard mindset. I get it. Like I can understand that. It's hard for anybody. For one, there's a lot of guilt as well. You think about amazing leaders out there who are feeling guilty because perhaps this hasn't been a story or a narrative they've picked up on, and suddenly they're having to react to it. I'm, I'm, I always tell these, I told, I have, I consult with a lot of CEOs and heads of brand and I tell them, you know, take a moment to really take stock of this issue uh, internally. Take a moment to really understand how bad is the problem in your work, in your workspace um, and understand it from both sides of the fence. Because this is the thing as well is, is if you have a workforce of a hundred thousand people globally, let's say, not everybody in your workforce is, is in support of Black Lives Matter. That's just not realistic. You know, you have, the reason we're having systematic racism conversations is because it's so subtle and it's, it's everybody somehow plays a part in it. Yeah. So you've got to make sure your communication uh, is very clear what your support is and what your point of view is around this specific issue. But you also want to acknowledge that you have a diverse, an existing diverse uh, pool of talent. 
some of whom don't agree with Black Lives Matter. That's just yeah. a fact. That's why we're here. So if you're a CEO or a head of brand, certainly when I was heading a team of, you know, 120 X people with multiple backgrounds and cultures, I would create a forum where these every voice mattered. Yeah. Every voice mattered. Um, and so how do you do that? And how do you navigate, you know, that? And how do you make sure that you don't alienate others? How do you make sure that the education you're providing your teams are actually adding value towards the narrative? Because a lot of this is just a lack of education. And I don't mean yeah. that in terms of the standard education. I mean, specifically around race. I don't, I think that the, the way that it's been taught, it's next to nothing. So make normalizing it, making it part of the work environment, having it be okay to have a point of view that isn't the standard and have it be delivered in a place that's safe where you don't feel vulnerable yeah. or feel in danger of fear of losing your job or feel in danger of being alienated in some way is really important. To start a dialogue. Absolutely. And I think everybody's voice needs to be added into the mix. I read this really interesting article about how the Democrats could possibly win this year. And it was something about make sure that Trump supporters have a place in your new movement. And that's really tough, but that's really yeah. pragmatic, right? Yeah. Like, and I, I kind of agree with that statement. You know, it's a hard thing to do because if you don't, then the divide that's already there just gets wider. This is yeah. about inclusion. I, I don't, you know, as a black man, of course, I want to, I want to see justice yesterday, but I'm also a human. And so I look at it through that lens. And I, and I think this is where it gets hard for people because I know who I am and I'm very comfortable in my skin. So therefore I can stand up and say, Hey, if you're, if you happen to have racist tendencies, or if you, if you happen to have unconscious bias is probably a better way to sort of frame it up. Yeah. Then allow for that person to be able to speak up because it's the two way dialogue is where real change is. What I'm not comfortable with is a silence. I actually really, that makes me very uncomfortable. Silence is the, is almost the easy. I mean, I have it sometimes with, with comments that just niggle at me regarding sexism and I'll be like, oh, but he's such a nice guy. I don't want to say that. You know, I don't want to offend him. I don't want him to think I don't like him. And then I'm like, hang on. And I actually make sure that we're in an, in, in, in an energy, I would say, within our conversation where I feel like, hey, do you think you can actually listen to me now? Yes. Yeah, so the reason is <laughs> I can only understand, you know, yeah. for, for a person of color on a daily basis, um, how, it's how. Very similar. Yeah, I mean, I always, it's funny because I grew up in a single parent house and my mom and I talked about this and sexism and racism are very similar in terms of the way they feel. I would imagine, and obviously I, I'm not a woman, so I'm not claiming to understand or know exactly how it feels, but I would imagine it has this, has it sort of conjures up the same feeling of, of sort of, you know, of, um, just uncertainty and confusion and doubt and fear and all these emotions that you have in diff at different times, right? Based on different circumstances. But you know that as a woman, when you go into a situation, somehow you have to be uh, a lot smarter in the room or you have to be a lot more confident for, uh, for certain reasons or you have to sort of absorb things that quite frankly are inappropriate that you should never have to absorb in comments and things like that, right? Of that nature. It's the same thing in racism. Yeah, Same. only that I guess that, the, you know, I'm still a white woman, right? So there's so many sure. levels of privilege and, and, and empathy. And I think that, that that is the only way that I can understand it. And, and thank you for empathizing with me. I of think course. that, yeah. you know, what's been yeah. really interesting for me about this conversation that we have had, Danny, is that the, the, 
the micro and what's happening on a human level and in a leadership level is very much what's happening on a, on a company and a, and a brand level. And if, if more, I think if more people can start to have conversations um, where they're open to being challenged, maybe brands can start to get it right. You know, where you can have leaders with vision and resilience. I agree entirely. And I think that will come. I think that's why I, I reluctantly say generationally, because I think there is a, there's a group of youth that I'm seeing because I observe, you know, I sort of, I'm a bit of a futurist in what I do. So I tend to observe um, consumers and how they're consuming technology, innovation, how they're applying it to the things they care about. And I can tell you right now, if I was still in corporate America running an innovations team or a brand team, all of the strategic shifts I would need to make in order to be the number one brand in the world, I'm seeing play out today. I know exactly what we would need to do in order to, you know, uh, take advantage of the new behavior. And that new behavior is every, to the point I made earlier, every voice now has a platform or a forum to share their thoughts and ideas and they can create their cohorts and drag them along. You watch these K-pop kids affect, I mean, you're talking about a presidential rally and somehow use technology to reserve hundreds of thousands of seats that were never fulfilled. I mean, genius. It's the sort of marketing that I would have done at Nike, you know? And I think that you're going to see a lot more of these creative ways of people standing up and protesting. That is through digital means, isn't necessarily physical, but has the same impact, if not more. You know, and a lot of the things that, you know, is happening too, that we have to sort of bear in mind is, we've moved from the information age into the, into the online reputation age, because now the internet has enough information in it. We're not talking about it as this beast that needs to be fed anymore, but rather we're, we're talking about it in terms of, uh, you know, how we show up online and our online lives are becoming our real lives. You know, you meet someone and you Google them is what we do, right? We just yeah. go along like let's and we, and we take what we read as fact. If it's on Google, then it must be fact. Yeah. And so that shift is happening. In other words, these conversations you and I are having right now and all the others that will follow are here to stay. Yeah. I love that because it means that these words may have an impact for somebody who hasn't even been born yet years to come. It means that somebody seeking um, a voice or, or, or somebody who's saying something similar to their experience is now available for them to seek out. I'm excited by that. And that's part of the reason that I, I'm happy to lend my voice to these things, because I want to make sure that these experiences are documented, that those that come after me can use these as a way to navigate corporate America or avoid corporate America entirely and, you know, become a, an entrepreneur and actually own your own business. There's lots of different ways to be successful in this world. And, and my unique story is one that I want to put out there because I believe if I can do it, gosh, anyone can do it. I guess what inspired me about Danny is that I too believe that, you know, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. And Danny's really testament to this. He's created a lot of positive impact within his sphere of influence by raising his voice and speaking his truth. And I like to believe that the conversations we're having on an individual level really do have an impact on the bigger organizations and structures around us and that we can be part of that change. If you got this far, thank you for sticking with me and tune in for our next episode with a new brave leader with a bold vision of the future, somebody willing to create a disturbance in order to create a positive impact.